Hello and welcome to Minigame, a podcast about video game stories and why we love them. I'm Michael Ferris. Well, this is it. The final part of my exploration into the mind of video game designer Hideo Kojima and his Metal Gear series in order to try to figure out what the heck is going on in the upcoming game Death Stranding. In the last episode, I talked about Metal Gear Solid 3 and 4 and felt as though Kojima lost his touch. He went from an energetic and inspired storyteller to one who is tired and just wants to move on. But yet again, Kojima just could not escape Metal Gear. In between main entries of the series, there are a few side games on the PlayStation Portable that are still in the Metal Gear canon, and were designed by Kojima. Both of these games, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops and Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, tell the story of Big Boss after the events of Metal Gear Solid 3, and attempt to bridge the prequel to the rest of the series. Being portable games on low-powered hardware, the storytelling techniques needed to change. You can't have hours of cutscenes when the game is supposed to be bite-size, and space on a PSP disc is limited. So the majority of the cutscenes in these games are told with stylized motion comics. Now forgive me, but my knowledge of storytelling in comics is rather limited, but Kojima seems to embrace the medium without any fear. In these games, time and space are compressed, so Kojima can show us exactly what he wants as soon as he wants us to see it, without any consideration for standard filmmaking techniques. The standard rules of motion and timing are thrown completely out the window, and it's kind of thrilling to see Kojima so excited to work in a new medium and explore its advantages and limitations. Even if the stories in these games were told with fairly standard Metal Gear stories with robots and silly villains and ham-fisted political commentary. Visually, these cutscenes also evoke the darker tone of this part in the series. The motion comics look hastily drawn in the darkest inks imaginable. Bodies and faces are sharp and angular and everyone looks unsettling, as though as everyone has something to hide. The big boss that we knew from MGS3 is literally unrecognizable, despite still being voiced by legendary voice actor David Hayter. Big Boss himself is no longer a soldier, but is the leader of his own private army with nothing but their own morals and rules to keep them in line. Enemies are no longer goofy Russians, but warmongering Americans. The plots in these games are as fuzzy and confusing as the art style Kojima wanted. After these two games came out, there was still a little room left in the series to complete the Metal Gear Solid saga, and this gap in the Metal Gear timeline would eventually lead us to the weirdest entry in the series, Metal Gear Solid 5. To start this madness, there are two things you need to know. First, there are actually two games labeled as Metal Gear Solid 5, one subtitled Ground Zeroes, the other subtitled The Phantom Pain. Now for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to talk about them as though they are one game, because the techniques used in both are the same. Ground Zeroes was just a small prequel title used to bridge Peace Walker to the Phantom Pain. But this was not clear at the time during the marketing push. They were advertised as being just one title. But this ended up being more of a marketing stunt and cash grab by Konami than a true creative separation. However, this unintentionally set the stage for a mind-bending and foreshadowing look into the main game. The second thing you should know is that MGS5 was around the time that Kojima really started to emulate two film directors. The first is Alfonso Cuaron, the director of Gravity, Children of Men, and Roma. And the second being Nicholas Wending Refn, the director of Drive, Bronson, and The Neon Demon. From Cuaron, Kojima really wanted to mimic the director's famous use of the long take. 
Scenes in MGS5 are primarily filmed in one long shot. Because the camera and its operator are not real, Kojima can use the camera to seamlessly transition between shaky handheld styles to a smooth wide dolly shot and can end on a close-up on a character's face all without needing to cut. It's visually impressive and the style was later refined in the God of War remake, but the execution here leaves much to be desired. Scenes transition between dialogue and action with all the smoothness of chunky peanut butter, and the dialogue itself can be awkwardly placed because the non-existent cameraman has to run up to a character in order to get proper framing for the scene. It's hard to show this off in an audio-only format, but take a listen to this scene and see if you notice anything weird about the pacing of this scene. Don't think the infection's airborne, but... Find the source of that transmission, boss. Find our man. You never know. Yeah, the whole game feels like that. For the first time in the Metal Gear series, the scenes with characters talking and the plot are the worst parts about the game. However, the visual storytelling triumphs in MGS5 and is heavily inspired by Danish director Nicholas Winding Refn. Refn is most known for the sparse use of dialogue, heavily stylized visual imagery, and explosive violence. All of these elements appear in MGS5 to varying degrees of success. The sparse dialogue makes for a very passive feeling story. All of the over-the-top charisma of previous game's characters is mostly gone and everyone just looks at each other with thousand-yard stares as they spew out bland dialogue in order to further the thin plot. To counter this, the game tries to make up for it with some unique visuals. Now I've already mentioned the long-take style of the cutscenes, but the cutscenes themselves also feature odd metaphoric images such as characters on fire, a horn growing out of Big Boss's head during the whole game, and a giant whale made out of fire who eats a helicopter. It's nuts and reflects the themes of the game which also include a loss of sense of reality. The violence in MGS5 is also as striking and explosive as some of the game's visuals. There are several scenes of torture, bodies being shot, a scene where a bomb is removed out of the guts of a conscious person, a character plies the teeth out of another with a knife, and an attempted sexual assault. It's gross, and the lack of a solid plot makes the violence seem just fetishistic and pointless. This is one big bit of directorial inspiration that I wish was left out of the game. The game doesn't need it, and this violence doesn't really appear in the rest of the series. So after all of this, what does this mean for Death Stranding? We've only seen a little bit so far, but it appears that the style of MGS5 lives on. We've seen the use of the long takes, there's a ton of striking imagery in the trailer so far, and at least from what we heard of Kojima, the game will be full of messages for the player to learn. Now, will Death Stranding be any good? I honestly have no idea, but when playing through the Metal Gear series for this series on minigame, I am confident that Death Stranding will be unlike anything we've ever seen before, or likely after that. Thanks very much for listening.
Executive producer of the Lore Party Podcast Network is Abu Zafar. Minigame is written and produced by Michael Ferris. Original music for Minigame is produced by Lawrence Kelly. Follow Lore Party on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. And check out our website at loreparty.com. Subscribe to Minigame in your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me grow the show. Thank you very much for listening.